Welcome to episode 87 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for the week of December 24th, 2007. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's episode of the Fredcast, we'll begin as we do every week with the news, including pro cycling news, Christmas cycling news, a product recall, a clarification on last week's story on the Cerevelum cycle computer, a camera that recognizes bike thieves, and more. Following the news, our sock design winner, a review of the Timex Ironman Eye Control Watch, listener comments on winter cross training, an interview with cycling coach Rich Wharton on staying in shape during the off-season, and pod-safe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for your PayPal donations, and thanks for shopping using the links at www.thefredcast.com. It all goes to support the show, and we appreciate it. Welcome back to the Fredcast. I hope that you have had an enjoyable holiday season so far. For those of you who celebrate Christmas, I hope it was a Merry Christmas. And as I said in my Twitter that day, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good bike. I hope some of you got some great cycling gifts this holiday season, and we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But first, a couple of notes. First, thank you all, all of you, for the voluminous amount of emails that I've received in support following the last show. I guess in the last show, I I mentioned the fact that I'd gotten a couple of angry emails, more than a couple, uh, about the fact that the show had taken a little bit of a hiatus and your emails of support flooded in as a result. Thank you so much. I actually made a a separate folder uh, in my email program that says, need a pick-me-up? Because the next time I get some really nasty emails. I'm going to go back to the ones that I've received over the last few days, and I think that those will make me feel real good. So thank you very much for that. I really, really appreciate it. Second, before we get to the news, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Fredcast listener hotline. Pretty much since the beginning of the show over two years ago, I've been using a 206 area code number through an well, an electronic online voicemail service called k7.net. And a lot of you use that in the beginning, and then for your voicemails now, you've been using some of the other services that I've got available, TringMe, MyChingo, Odeo, Skype, you name it. And you haven't been actually dialing the number. And as a result, once you've had 30 days of non-use, they don't even warn you. They just take your number away. So don't call that 206 number anymore. Because if you do, you're going to get somebody whose voice I don't recognize, and it certainly isn't me. So uh, we talk about this at the end of every show, but we're going to talk about it briefly right now. Uh, The number of ways that you can reach me here at the Fredcast, but if you want to send me a voice message, especially something you'd like me to play on the show, there's a number of different ways. First of all, there's Skype, and my Skype handle is thefredcast, all one word. I also have a Skype in number that has Skype a voicemail, and that's area code 435-258-6FRED or 
seven three. And then I have three different ways that you can send me voicemail just using your computer and the microphone that's attached to it. All of these can be found on the website on the right-hand side under the Contact Us link uh, if you scroll down a little bit. Or, of course, they are always in the show notes for every week's show. One, again, is TringMe, one is MyChingo, and the other is Odeo. You can use any of those ways to send me an audio comment. Or if you're so inclined, as you've heard several others do on the show before, if you would like to record it and edit it on your own computer, you can also email it to me, and the email address for audio or textual comments is thefredcast at gmail.com. I will repeat this at the end of the show as I always do, and I'm not going to put it at the beginning of the show most shows. I'm doing it today simply because I wanted to make sure that you knew don't use that 206 area code anymore. Well, that's it for the announcements for today. Let's get right into the news. Starting first tonight with pro cycling news, and believe it or not, Floyd Landis is back in the news, simply because, and this is something we mentioned here on the show before, as you well know, Floyd Landis did receive his sanction, his two-year suspension from professional cycling as a result of losing his arbitration here in the United States, but he is appealing that to the final say in the matter, and that's the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And there is always the chance that the Court of Arbitration for Sport could overturn his suspension and return Floyd Landis back to the world of professional cycling. Well, the French aren't too happy about that possibility. They don't want him racing in any athletic competition in France. As a result, the French have now sanctioned Floyd Landis separately. This new ban runs until January 29th, 2009, and it means that Floyd Landis can't compete in France in events that are outside the jurisdiction of the French Cycling Federation, even though he does have the right to appeal to France's highest administrative ruling body, the Conseil d'État. Again, possible butchering of language there. Sorry about that. Uh, all this means is they just don't want Floyd Landis participating in any professional sporting events on French territory, period. You'll recall that back in October, the UCI and the World Anti-Doping Agency agreed on a new program that they were calling the Biological Passport. As you'll recall, the Biological Passport is an individual electronic record for each rider that contains all of the results of their doping tests over a period of time. And using this biological passport, the UCI and WADA believe that they will have a better opportunity to detect doping among individual riders. Well, according to news reports, the UCI is now in its own race, its own race against time to implement this new passport in time for the 2008 Pro Tour season. According to Agence France Press, it now seems that the UCI faces an uphill struggle to meet the deadline and that there are experts also raising doubts over the logistics needed to cope with an operation of this magnitude. Specifically, their primary concerns are with the constant analysis of the blood levels and the number of tests involved. Now, before the 2008 tour, which is going to begin on July the 5th, coincidentally, the Fredcast tour ends on July the 4th in Europe. 
on July the 5th, before that, the UCI is expecting to gather, analyze, and chart 4,200 blood samples. That's six for each of the 500 riders in the Pro Tour and 200 Continental teams that qualify as wild cards in the UCI Pro Tour events. It is going to be a daunting task, and it remains so far unclear whether or not the UCI will be able to reach this deadline, having been able to implement their entire biological passport program. I applaud them for their efforts. I hope that it is as successful as some of the efforts that we've seen here with some of the teams in the United States. Remember Slipstream Chipotle and their work to ensure that their riders are drug-free. I hope that this biological passport program will be much more substance than style. And finally, in the world of professional cycling for this week, there is a showdown a-brewing between the UCI and the Spanish Cycling Federation over Spanish rider Iban Mayo. You may recall that Iban Mayo tested positive during the Tour de France this year for the use of the banned substance EPO. You may further recall that when the B sample was set to be tested to confirm whether or not he was indeed guilty of doping, that the French lab had gone on holiday, and therefore the sample was sent to Ghent, Belgium, where it was tested, and the test came up inconclusive. As a result, it was presumed, therefore, that Mayo was not guilty of doping, and the Spanish Cycling Federation cleared him of the charges. The UCI then, not happy with the Belgian lab's result and the fact that the Belgian lab uses different protocols, and we'll come back to that in a minute, different protocols than the French lab, UCI decided to send that sample back to the French lab to have it retested. And lo and behold, the French lab has now confirmed the result of the A sample test. In other words, has said that the B sample test came back positive for use of EPO. The UCI therefore believes that Iban Mayo should be sanctioned. The Spanish Cycling Federation, however, has now come out and said on the record that they do not believe Mayo should be sanctioned, that they believe that the Belgian test was sufficient, and that therefore they have closed the case against Mayo, and that they will defend him should the UCI try to sanction him. Now, the UCI does have the opportunity, as in the Landis case, where Floyd Landis has gone to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the UCI has the opportunity to go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And according to a spokesman for the Spanish Cycling Federation, quote, we won't voluntarily go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, but the Federation is prepared to defend its rider. So there is a showdown brewing. Now, remember, we talked a moment ago about the fact that the Belgian lab and the French lab were using different testing protocols to determine whether or not Mayo had doped. I've mentioned it here on the show before, and I think it bears repeating. How in the world can we expect that cycling can regain its reputation, that anyone, rider, fan, team director, the UCI, how can we expect that anyone can take these tests seriously and believe the results if 
WADA and the UCI can't come up with unified, consistent testing standards that can be used from labs in California to outer Mongolia and everywhere in between. In the absence of accepted protocols that everyone uses, there will continue to be questions about whether or not certain riders are guilty and whether or not others are innocent. It's time for us not just to have the biological passport, which is a great idea, but to make sure that that passport is backed up by consistency. I'm getting off my soapbox now. Well, I'm recording this just a couple of days after Christmas 2007, and every year at this time of year, there are a number of cycling stories in the news that surround Christmas. The first one, you know, it is just the the most heartbreaking story you can imagine. Imagine you are a seven-year-old little girl, and all you want for Christmas is to get that shiny new bicycle. And you can imagine her parents the night before. I mean, you see it in all the movies. The kids go to bed, and then the parents pull that bike box out, and they start building the bicycle, and they get it under the tree, they get a ribbon on it, and imagine little Jackie Solis's face when she awoke Christmas morning in San Antonio, Texas, and found the gift she wanted the most underneath the tree, and that was her shiny new bicycle. Jackie then went out and played uh, in the street with her brother, and they were riding their bikes, and absolutely tragically, Jackie was hit by a car and killed. Uh, And it is just the most heartbreaking story you can imagine. According to a police spokesman in San Antonio, and you can believe this, quote, the driver is extremely distraught. He's just having a very difficult time coming to grips with what has occurred here today. You can imagine throughout the day, people place cards, flowers, stuffed animals at a little makeshift shrine just for Jackie, uh, right at the area where she was hit. Um, It is just a total tragedy um, for anyone who's a parent or just anyone um, with a heart to think that a little girl on Christmas Day riding her her new bicycle uh, would be killed is just the most unthinkable thing. And uh, our hearts and prayers, of course, do go out to, to Jackie's parents. Uh, it is a tragic accident. And for those of you who are parents who, who got new bikes for your kids, all I can say is watch them closely, uh, teach them all the rules of the road, and still worry a lot because um, this is just a tragic accident. Well, from the sad to the sublime, I love doing these stories every year. And this time I've got two about various people known as the bike man. The first is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And this is Moses Mathis. He spends all year putting together bikes, just preparing for Christmas. He said, quote, this is a day that we enjoy every year. It's a very, very good feeling. This is why we work hard all year long, just to see the smiles on those kids' faces. It's an awesome feeling. You see, because every year, Moses repairs bikes to give away to kids for Christmas. He's become known as the Bicycle Man. And this year, he's giving away bikes to nearly 700 kids in the Fayetteville area. And they're also getting helmets and other gifts, like books and cookies. And he's been doing this now for about 14 years years. Now, the second story comes to us from Durham, North Carolina, where Lewis H. Days, who's 74 years old, well, there he's known as the Bike Man. 
He says, quote, if I go to a grocery store and I see a kid and I ask him, do you have a bike? And he tells me no. I say, well, you got one now. And I give him a bicycle. Lewis is a retired maintenance man. He lives on social security. He doesn't have a lot himself, but he is an expert on giving his time, talent, and passion for kids and bikes. He's been restoring broken and abandoned bikes for years, making them literally as good as new, and then giving them to kids who don't have them. He gives away up to 150 bikes each year, and apparently his granddaughter is the one who does the test riding. According to Lewis, quote, anytime you see the smiling face of a child that you have given a bicycle to, I'm a soft heart. It brings tears to my eyes when I see a kid enjoy something that I've worked hard on. And so to bike man Lewis Days and bicycle man Moses Mathis, from all those kids out there who didn't think they were going to get a bike for Christmas, we say thank you. What a great thing to do for kids and what a great thing to do for Christmas. And our final Christmas cycling gift story of the year concerns the first cyclist himself, President George Bush from here in the United States. According to the First Lady's spokeswoman, Sally McDonough, quote, for the president, Mrs. Bush is helping to outfit him for cold weather mountain biking with a new coat and warming souls. So, Mr. President, we hope that you are ready to get out there for your off-season training as you spend your Christmas and New Year's holidays at your ranch in Texas with your new foul-weather cycling gear from Mrs. Bush. So, what did President Bush give to his wife, Laura? Well, he gave her a new purse and a silver tray. Congratulations to the President for doing that shopping. I don't know, did did shoppers see him at the local mall or the local Walmart? I tend to doubt it. Well, for this next story, I wish I had a good segue like I try to do every time, but unfortunately for this one, I just don't. We're moving from Christmas to a product recall. I have to bring these to you, and this one comes to us thanks to our friends at bikebiz.com. Dahan, the folding bike manufacturer, is issuing a voluntary recall to all owners regarding a potential safety issue with seat bolts on 2007 model year Dahan Matrix, Jack, Espresso, Cadenza, Tornado, and Smooth Hound bikes. According to the manufacturer, the seat post bolt on some full-size models of Dahan bikes can break under use, and as you can imagine, that could pose a potential risk to the riders. The seat posts in particular are on these bikes, they have bolt-on seat posts labeled Biologic, Post Pump, and they all are a 27.2 millimeter diameter. If you have one of these bikes with one of these seat posts, all worldwide Dahan distributors will receive replacement seat post bolts and provide them to dealers upon request. So all you need to do is contact your original dealer if possible or any other local Dahan dealer for a free replacement bolt. The bolts can be replaced by you, the consumer, and I've put a link in the show notes to Dahan's website where you can download an Adobe Acrobat document which has very detailed instructions, including pictures, 
on how to replace these seat post bolts. So go to the show notes at www.thefredcast.com and check out those instructions and get your seat post bolt fixed right away. Well, if you listened to last week's show, you may remember that I talked briefly about a new product, specifically a new cycle computer, that sounded interesting. Uh, It's the Cerevelum, and I have a link in the show notes to their website. Well, I got an email from listener James to let me know that the Cerevelum, while it is an interesting concept with its modules for GPS and power and even a Uh, rear view camera system. While it's a cool idea, it is still under development. So you can go to the website, you can get a little bit of information, but for right now, it is not available in the stores. It's not something that you can contact the company and get your hands on. And I'm hoping that in the next couple of months, it will become available. And when it does, I'm also hoping that either listener James, who has some connections with the company, will be able to give us a review here on the Fredcast or be able to get us a review unit so that I can bring you my own comments about the Cerevelum. But go to the the show notes at thefredcast.com and check out their website. I think you'll be very intrigued. Another follow-up from last week's show, you'll recall that I was mentioning that there are a number of municipalities around the United States that are cracking down on cyclists who break the law, running uh, stop signs, running red lights, etc. And we also talked about the the cyclist rules of the road that was published down in Australia. And I was mentioning how I thought that all of these were a good idea and that it was time for us to really police ourselves uh, because it's the obviously the right thing to do and it's also the safe thing to do. Well, I was taken to task a little bit by some of you listeners who felt that I was too hard on the cyclists and not hard enough on the cars. For instance, here's what listener Steve had to say. Your segment and your unqualified support on police programs to crack down on cyclists misses the mark. I totally agree that cyclists should be held responsible for obeying the law. However, as was recently pointed out in a column by Bob Mosky in Velo News, police and the media have a bias against enforcing the law against automobile drivers when they cause fatal accidents with cyclists. The real solution to improving safety would be for police to also have a program to enforce the law against drivers and pedestrians who violate the law and put cyclists in danger. Until then, the police are simply unfairly applying the law and allowing an unsafe environment to exist. Unfortunately, your unqualified support for such programs only perpetuates the situation. When cyclists see the police protecting their legal right to be on the road, I'm sure that there will be less law-breaking by cyclists. Well, I wrote back to Steve and I said, you know, in retrospect, perhaps I was a bit too one-sided in my coverage on that one show. And certainly I'm rectifying that here. It's clear, and hopefully it's been clear from previous shows, that I think that there are too many scofflaw cyclists. But I also hope that it's clear that I am in, I am firm in my belief that there are vastly more scofflaw motorists, especially as it concerns their behavior around and about cyclists. And then I pointed out to Steve that if he had looked back at my Twitter posts from the day that I was researching last week's show, he would have found a comment about 
my continuing disappointment at the lack of penalties for those motorists who kill or injure cyclists. I talk about this time after time after time, especially when I was living in Los Angeles. I mentioned how literally every night when I would come home from a ride, my wife and kids would ask me how many people tried to kill me that day because it was true. The motorists that were in Los Angeles, and I've seen it all over this country and all over the world, motorists simply tend to be blind to cyclists on the road, or a lot of them seem to have animosity about the fact that we're there. And in some cases, we feel the need for safety reasons, even though we have the right, we feel the need to take up an entire lane because it's the safe thing to do. And I've seen lots of times that that has engendered aggression in those motorists. And I believe I've said it time after time here on the show that I believe that we need to crack down on those motorists as well. And perhaps an education program is necessary. So Steve, I appreciate your comment, but yours wasn't the only one. Listener Ben said, I was listening to your comments about breaking the law. I think that some of us are in agreement with you in principle, but we find ourselves literally forced to break the law and run red lights. There are many lights on my typical riding routes, which just will not change for a bike. The local authorities don't seem to care and don't bother to fix them. I don't know how many times I've just stood and waited and waited, and the light will not change for me. After a while, you learn which ones will and will not change for you. You do your best to be safe and obey the law, but it simply isn't always possible. Well, Ben, you're absolutely right. I've run into that myself. There was an intersection near my old home in Glendale, California, where I knew that that light simply wasn't going to change and there wasn't one of those great pedestrian buttons to push. So what did I do? Exactly what you said. I would have to wait until it was safe and there were absolutely no cars coming in order to slowly and carefully get across that intersection. But that's not really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here, and you've seen it time after time, are the packs of cyclists, the clubs, and even the individuals who just don't think that red lights are directed at them, and they're going 25 miles an hour down the road, they don't even tap their brakes before running through that intersection. That is what we're talking about, and that's really what the concern is. Oh, and by the way, I've seen plenty of municipalities around the country, and kudos to them, where they have put a button specifically for cyclists so that when you get to that intersection, you push that cyclist button and the light will change for you. Kudos to the places that do that. But Ben and Steve weren't the only ones who wrote to take me to task. So did listener John. He said, thanks for what you put out there. Your views regarding safety fall right along the same lines as our club. He's a member of Portland Velo in Portland, Oregon. Sadly, one of our members was killed this summer obeying the rules of the road to the letter. Witnesses confirmed this, and unfortunately, Oregon does not currently have a vehicular homicide law to bring this motorist to justice. She was driving a rental car her sister rented because she was unable to do so on her own with, get this, a suspended license. Efforts are being pressed within our club and in the cycling community in Portland to get this on the books. It is on the docket for the 2008 legislative session. In response to this, we've met with law enforcement to get their views and enlist their help both in how cyclists and motorists can coexist. And the bottom line for us as riders and as a club is that we can impact motorist perceptions by how we conduct ourselves. 
Hear, hear, John, I totally agree. We remind our members before every ride our expectations of how we are to conduct ourselves. We're in the process of drafting our own code of conduct as well. This will be a reference for all members to agree to and to set the tone for how our rides are conducted. A shared responsibility must be understood by both ends of the equation, and I couldn't agree with you more. And finally, there's an article in the Seattle Press Intelligencer, and I will put a link in the show notes. I won't read it, but the gist of the article is that perhaps cyclists should be licensed, and I think that you will find that there is a groundswell that's growing in this country that believes that cyclists are a problem on the roads. People who do not believe that their own actions as motorists are creating a problem. And so they're looking at things like cracking down on cyclists. They're looking at things like licensing bikes. There's plenty of places where I've talked to people who have said, let's get the bikes off the road completely, put them on multi-use paths. These are not the solutions. But if, as John and his club in Portland are doing, if we will police ourselves, if we present a better example to the other road users out there, I believe that these problems can be alleviated and some of these more drastic efforts that people are considering can be derailed. Bottom line, absolutely motorists should be taken to task. Absolutely motorists should um, see enforcement of the laws when they're doing the wrong things out there on the road. But at the same time, we owe it to ourselves, to our fellow cyclists, and to the other road users to do the right thing and be good examples. Those are my thoughts. I certainly welcome more of yours. And finally in the news tonight, a very cool new way to protect bikes from being stolen. A PhD student at Leeds University has developed a new technology that could prevent bike thefts and might also be use, useful in preventing other suspicious events. And an individual by the name of Dima Damon from the university's Faculty of Engineering has created a computer system that recognizes people parking their bikes so that if a different person comes to pick up that bike, security staff can be warned. According to Dima, quote, currently lots of thefts are happening in front of closed circuit TV cameras, but they go unchecked. Cameras are installed in many locations, but sometimes three people are observing 25 cameras and this makes it very ineffective. So here's how the system works. It takes color information from closed circuit cameras when a bike is parked and then it stores it until the bike is retrieved. It then marries the stored information with the new image and if there are big differences, it notifies security. Now, currently, the system is still in the prototyping stage, but initial tests proved successful as 11 out of 13 simulated thefts were detected. Now, a spokesman for SusTrans, which is a UK sustainable transport charity, said, quote, any kind of new technology that could prevent bicycle theft would be welcome. Theft is a big problem in many UK cities, and people need to make sure their bikes are safe. As a matter of fact, more than 500,000 bikes are stolen yearly, and only 5% of these are ever returned to their owners. Considering all the closed-circuit cameras in the UK, I think that this is a great idea, and I hope it's one that eventually comes to the marketplace. 
And that's going to do it for the news for this episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. First up in our features today is the winner of the Fredcast Sock Design Contest. We got a number of great designs, and thank you to everyone who entered. And as you'll recall, the contest is sponsored by the Sock Guy. The Sock Guy is the company that makes the socks for the Fredcast and for a lot of others. And I have talked to them at Interbike, and I also gave you a little bit of information on a recent show about all of their new technologies. And the Sock Guy is on the cutting edge of sock designs, sock materials, and other apparel and accessories for cycling and other sports. Remember, they've got ski socks now as well. And as you'll recall, the Sock Guy has graciously donated the prize package for our design winner. And before I tell you who that winner is, just to keep you in a little bit of suspense, remember the prize package includes two pairs of the new Fredcast socks, in addition to a pair of socks, any style that the Sock Guy makes, a pair of Elite Tech socks, a base layer, a pair of arm warmers, booties, and cover socks. And of course, you, the winner, can choose from your styles, colors, and sizes. Well, for those of you who are looking at the enhanced version of the podcast, if you look down at your iPod, the winning sock design is shown right there. And it's from, drumroll please, Dave Hornung. Dave, congratulations and thank you for an amazing design. I really like it. For those of you who aren't looking at the enhanced version, what you're looking at is essentially a black sock with a royal blue toe and heel section. And then at the back of the cuff portion of the sock are some red and yellow flames licking up at your calf. And then at the front portion is an oval, really nicely stylized, that simply says, enjoy the ride. And above that, it says www.thefredcast.com. And then on the foot area of the sock, it says, I'm a Fred. Now, what we may do is we may alter that a little bit. We may put enjoy the ride on the foot area and I'm a Fred on the oval part. Haven't quite decided. We're going to be working with the sock guy in the next couple of days on the final design. And I will be posting that on the website, placing the order. And yes, you will be able to order the second limited edition Fredcast sock. Really excited about this. Thank you to everyone who entered and congratulations to Dave Horning for your winning design. And once again, thanks to the sock guy for sponsoring the contest. Oh yeah. And before I forget, just so that you know, I have got a picture of the winning sock design in the show notes for today's show. One other thing I'd like to mention before we move on to the other features, and that's just a simple reminder of the Fredcast Transalpine Adventure taking place June 24th through July the 4th. Remember, we're riding from Salzburg, Austria to Venice, Italy over the Dolomites and through some gorgeous parts of Europe, including parts of the Giro d'Italia 2008 route. Now, I have started an interest list, although the final details of the trip have not yet been announced, including pricing and exact itinerary. That will be done very shortly in the next week or two. In the meantime, the interest list is starting to fill up, so please send me an email. Just let me know if you're interested, and then I'll get all the information out to you very, very soon, as soon as we're ready. But make sure that you're on that list because spaces are limited. Let's get to the rest of the features for today's show. First up is a product review I'd like to bring to you, and you'll remember, oh, many months ago, I did a roundup of iPod remote controls. Simply, these are small 
items that attach the dock connector of your iPod. So you can put your iPod in a jersey pocket or a backpack or something like that. You never have to touch it again once you've connected this little uh, wireless gizmo to the dock connector. And then you could use a remote control to take care of the volume, the pause, the play, uh, skipping back and forth between tracks. And I told you about a couple of those, and several of them you'll remember it was a little bit difficult finding the right place to mount those on a bicycle. Well, a listener recently emailed me and told me about a new product from Timex, the watch company. And this is the Timex iControl watch. Simply, it's a full-function Timex sports watch, but it adds iPod control functionality built right in. As far as the watch goes, it does standard sports watch features including time, date, three different time zones, the possibility of an hourly chime, there are countdown timers, interval timers, three alarms, so you can set one for a daily alarm, one for a weekday alarm, and one for a weekend alarm. Then, of course, there's a chronograph or a stopwatch, including lap storage, lap and split recall, and then it will also display your average and your best times. Plus, it's got that cool Timex Indiglow nightlight. I love that feature. That's really cool. Now, add on to that iPod remote control functionality, much like those other remotes that we talked about many months ago. But this one is so much easier to use because it's right there on your wrist, and it's a regular watch. It doesn't look any different than a sports watch would look, and as opposed to some of those other remotes, which all they had was the functionality of a remote, so it's not something that you would wear every day. But with your Timex Eye Control watch, you can wear this anytime, anywhere, and it doesn't look like a goofy item because it has all that other functionality. The Timex Eye Control works with iPods with dock connectors, and of course that includes your 5th Gen Plus iPods, as well as your iPod Nanos from the first generation on up to the current iPod Nanos. Again, it works just like the other iPod remotes that I've covered. It's got all the regular buttons, the pause, play, um, forward track, back track, and then your volume up and volume down. But again, much more functional, much easier to carry with you, and you don't have to worry about where you're going to put it. It just goes right on your wrist. I've done a lot of testing with it. I've used it uh, cycling. I've used it skiing, I've used it snow blowing and, and, and uh, shoveling the driveway, and it works just great. The only limitation that I've found with it is that the buttons on it can be a little small. So if you're a bit ham-handed, you've got really, really big fingers, uh, this might be a little bit difficult. I found it difficult when I was skiing or when I was wearing full-fingered cycling gloves because of the size of the buttons. It works, but sometimes, especially with... Uh, winter gloves, it can be a little bit difficult to find and to push those buttons. So that's the only limitation I found. But again, on a watch, you don't want to have humongous buttons anyway. So of course, there's a trade-off. It's available in a number of colors, black, black and silver, light gray, blue, pink, red, and the color they sent me, green. It's available at plenty of places. I've put a link in the show notes to where you can buy it at Amazon, where the current price is $79.99. And if you're listening to the show, the Enhanced Show in iTunes, check out the album art area. That link is available to you there as well. 
You can also find it at Kohl's, Sports Authority, Kmart, Sears, Target, Walmart, Dick's, REI, Mervyn's, Sports Chalet, and of course, at Timex.com. Once again, that's the Timex Eye Control Watch, and I recommend it. It's a really great product. Thanks to the listener who recommended it. This is something I recommend. Speaking of full-fingered gloves and cold weather, you'll recall that last week I asked you for some suggestions of what you do for your off-season or your wintertime training. Got a couple of great emails, including one from our friend Casey who said, I've got an idea. Don't move someplace cold like Utah. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate that very much. But I did also get a couple of other great tips. Here's one from listener John. He said, you asked about cross-training. I don't do much of that besides a little jogging. While it's not exactly cross-training, I would encourage at least the mountain bike portion of your listeners to join a trail building party, either to build new trails and or keep the existing ones in good repair. The wet winter months are perfect trail building time in many areas, and trail building is good exercising, hence cross-training, and it makes you respect the work that goes into building and maintaining a trail system. For the hikers and backpackers and runners, the hiking trails need care too. Besides the exercise and contributing to your sport, you'll be in good company and make new friends. Personally, there's a mountain biking trail near here that I use a lot. It's brand new. I don't know who created it or who does the maintenance, but I'm going to find out because they do such a great job and it is such a worthwhile trail that I totally agree, John. Get out there and work on trail building. Great idea. Listener Mark said, I commute on a mountain bike about eight or nine miles round trip a day, so that's giving me some aerobic time. Plus, I play indoor soccer two to three times a week for some interval style work. The downside to the soccer is getting kicked, and he says anywhere and everywhere, ouch, and the resultant injuries, of course. Last year, I foolishly sold my trainer due to lack of use, but after Christmas, I'm going to buy it back. The same guy who purchased it last year is ready to part with it as he hasn't used it since he bought it for me. Trainers are a great way to stay in shape in the off season. And that leads up to an interview that I did just two days ago with Rich Wharton. We've talked to Rich before. He is an elite level cycling coach at onlinebikecoach.com. Rich spent about 30 minutes with me on the phone, so sorry the show's going to go a little bit long, but I think there's some great information in what, what Rich has to say. So here's my interview that I did just a couple of days ago with Rich Wharton from onlinebikecoach.com on the subject of staying in shape in the off-season. Well, we are talking to Rich Wharton. Rich is from onlinebikecoach.com, and we've talked to Rich here before. We talked to him about power meters. But as I mentioned last week on the show, a lot of us are having issues at this time of year with staying in shape, uh, specifically staying in shape for, for cycling in the on season. So I thought we'd bring Rich on and have him talk to us about what it is we can all do to stay in shape. So first of all, Rich, welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you. And thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you on again. You've, you were uh, the last times you've been on, people have been very, very pleased with, with the information you've given. So I thought I'd give you another chance to come on and, and let people know <laughs> a little bit about what you recommend to your coaching clients and what you recommend on your website. Look, when it's cold and it's snowy, how do we stay in shape at this time of year? For me, I, I just I find it hard to get out on the bike just because it's too cold out there and there's too much ice and snow and too many tourists sure. who don't know how to drive in it. So what 
just off the bat, just give me a, a couple of bullet points. What are some of the things that you recommend to cyclists who want to stay in shape during this time of year? Well, I'd probably take a more uh, more modern view instead of an old school approach, and that is, uh, it's still even in the off season, it is still about uh, getting certain bouts of intensity in to maintain your overall aerobic system. And so, my argument has always been, what you can do in sixty minutes or forty five minutes indoors, uh, in the right combination of intensity, is going to help you in the long run with those two, three, and four hour rides outdoors. If you're inside riding rollers at 70% of your threshold for three hours, you're getting very, very good at getting efficient but not terribly fast or quick. And what we try to do with our indoor training is uh, we go around and do blocks of intervals that will tax the system but not break the system. And it gives people a good, vigorous workout. They feel better. They look like they, they feel like they've actually done something. That's the impression that they get in their heads. And um, the basic thing is that they're not losing any fitness. Instead, they're holding on to what they've gained over the fall. Uh, they combine that with a little bit of good cross training. And the two in, com in combination, plus the added rest that you get from the short, intense intervals that don't leave you uh, out on the bike or on the compu trainer for four hours at a time, uh, that alone will help you recover and stay fresh as you enter into the spring and then in the summer for the upcoming season. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Um, first of all, I think one thing that's really going to grab people's attention is yes. 40 to 60 minutes of short, intense workouts. Give me a little bit more depth on that. What, what can okay. people be doing? Well, uh, some of the research that's come out in recent years that's less than seven years old uh, shows that we're always trying to find ways to hold on to the uh, mitochondria that we get uh, and also not to lose. You know, we're trying to hold on to what we've gained, not lose too much, and we're also not trying to go out and strain our bodies to the point where you know, we peak in January or February. If you're a World Cup track racer, yes, that's fantastic. But for most of us uh, road and mountain bikers, we're still looking forward to the spring and the summer. The idea is to get an adequate level of intensity in inside of 45 to 75 or 90 minutes at the most that's going to yield a, a, a positive training effect without having to suffer through exhilaratingly long uh, efforts of uh, like we're used to doing on our weekend warrior type activities. We, give them, we, we, we have the opportunity to do those eight, nine, ten months out of the year, but sometimes it's that time that you get to spend indoors where you just go for 60 minutes and you do perhaps VO2 max intervals, but you make sure that they're adequately spaced apart so that you have a full recovery. You're not necessarily doing a three-minute interval with a three-minute recovery and then another three-minute interval. Instead, you're doing a three-minute interval, and then you're doing about a six-minute recovery before you do another three-minute interval. The intensity is going to is going to yield the is going to yield the positive training effect, or the maintaining training effect, and the six-minute recovery is going to set it up so that you're not taxing the system. You're not you're not overstressing yourself. You feel like you're you know your legs will feel like they've had a workout, but you're not going to feel like they are uh, torn up. And again, the three-minute interval is just an example. It's not necessarily uh, the 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 
specific interval engine that I use. I use three-minute intervals. I use four-minute intervals. Uh, we do 20-minute intervals, um, but we, we kind of mix it up and match it a little bit to keep people fresh so that they continue to look forward to these indoor workouts instead of those becoming progressive intervals themselves. So we're kind of mixing and matching, but we're still hitting the different energy systems. But it's just enough to tax the system without burdening it with a long recovery or a long ride, which requires a recovery itself. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. How, yeah. Let's let's back up one second and let's pretend that you've got somebody who has never really done uh, off-season training. Hey, like me, for okay. instance, because <laughs> sure. I lived in Southern California my whole life, and you know, if if it were if I were still living there. Today, I would have gone out for a nice long ride as opposed to not being able to. Um, give me some ideas. How do you recommend somebody set up, and this is really basic, how do sure. they set up their indoor workout? What hardware should they have? Um, okay. you know, we, we hear people get really sweaty indoors. What do you recommend for people? <laughs> You're right. Uh, I, I know this from years of, of training on my computer trainer in a uh, barn in Montana in the mid-1990s. And it would be maybe zero to 20 degrees outside. I had a pellet stove uh, that I could only put on one side of my body. So it would be at 400 degrees. <laughs> and you'd be freezing on your right hand side. You'd be freezing on the right hand side, boiling on the left hand side. And you could literally see the steam coming off of one side and, and dripping onto the, onto the wooden platform on the, on the other. And then one time it did get hot enough where my old Nintendo entertainment system that was hooked up to the uh, computer did begin to melt. And I knew that I'd probably taxed. Uh, I tax the physical limits of the hardware at that point, but you're right. It, it, indoor training takes it takes a lot of uh, it, it, it takes a lot of imagination and it takes a lot of perseverance. Uh, there are so many new ways to train indoors that will keep you feeling fresh and actually looking forward to the intervals themselves. That um, um, it, 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 it you're, you can actually come out in the spring as strong as you would have had you just basically gone into a, 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 a Tucson training camp for three or four months and, and, and avoided, um, avoided the winter altogether. Now, that's, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but I do believe that. Um, the first thing you need is you've got to have a sweat mat. Otherwise, your significant other or your landlord is going to uh, have a fit about all, the, about all the sweat stains on the carpet. Uh, you also we might have situations where when you're pedaling on your uh, resistance trainer, uh, where you might actually fall off, and of course, then we don't want the tires getting, we don't want the tire debris getting all over the place. Um, get yourself a sweat mat. Get yourself a good, progressive uh, indoor trainer, and those can be mag trainers, those can be fluid trainers, those can be. Um, they've got, they've even got some old wind trainers that are still around uh, that are that are nice and, and, and good. My all-time favorite uh, that I do believe is worth the investment is the Compu Trainer. And um, the reason is that the, the, any of these devices will allow you to, to do programmed and progressive workouts, get a solid uh, resistance in there, and uh, leave the bike on there without feeling like you have to uh, remove it. You know, it, it, it removes the cumbersome at, uh, approach towards things. Um, it, it's also good to have a very strong and powerful fan. And my all-time favorite fan is the Vornado. Um, it's built in the United States. It's an old brand, and they continually update it. 
uh, Vornado makes a fan that has a three-foot um, extension on it so that it actually puts it right at chest-to-face level. And life gets a lot better when you're not sitting there drowning in your own sweat. Uh, and also you're kind of moving the convection of heat off of your body because it is very easy to overheat even in, in, in indoor training. It also helps to get a little bit of fresh air um, even in some of these stagnant basements. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can raise the core temperature in a small room two or three or four degrees over the course of an hour. So just be prepared for that and um, uh, make sure that you dress in layers so that you can peel layers off as you continue to warm up. The worst thing that can happen is for you to get wet through a workout and then to be cold. Um, that's really going to affect your recovery and it's going to, it's going to affect your immune system. So keep a fan on, keep a towel available. And, um, and then we, then we, then we can go to the esoteric things. Now, if you want to look at things that you can, uh, use to, to keep yourself entertained, the world cycling production videos are always a great start. Um, I always tell my clients to ask for those for stocking stuffers and Hanukkah gifts. Uh, we also, I, I, sometimes I give away as, uh, as Christmas gifts from my clients. Um, one of the other things that you could do, I believe that, uh, Troy Jacobson gives out wonderful interval, uh, training through his spinnervals. I know that Carmichael has those available as well. Uh, the problem with some of those videos is that they tend to get a little rote and, uh, you want sometimes to, to kind of, you want to have the variety available and, and let's face it, DVDs can get, can get expensive over time. Um, the latest, coolest thing that I've been involved in is a creation by a Canadian named Paul Smolders, and he has created uh, on-camera, I'm sorry, camera-on-bike and camera-on-helmet videos that work in sync with the CompuTrainer system, and they're called Erg Videos. If you go to ergvideo.com, and you can, you can, you can purchase... I think he's got almost 40 or 45 videos with different types of training and different types of intensity. He's got criterium races from the point of view of the helmet. He's got time trials. He's got team time trials. He's got um, team training rides. He's got hill intervals. All of that is done uh, not with the slope or the incline in mind. It instead uses percentage of intensity at threshold. Now, that jumps to another another discussion. But uh, you were asking one of the things: what do we do to get an indoor training program going? Well, one of the first things you can do is around November the first or November the fifteenth, or maybe as late as right after the uh, Thanksgiving week, go and get yourself a twenty-minute interval with your power meter and figure out exactly what your power threshold is. If you own a Compu Trainer, do an eight-mile time trial and look at the average power from there. If you are a, um, a power meter user uh, with a power tap or an Ergamo or an SRM or even my iBike, you can now use the iBike indoors. And you, got, you get yourself a 20-minute interval and you look at the average power output. And then you base your shorter, sharper intervals on that value. So if you are going to do those three-minute intervals on the uh, CompuTrainer, you would do them at, you know, let's say maybe 108 to 110 percent uh, or even higher, 115 percent of the 20-minute uh, average power. You then take those numbers and you can actually work through a progression all winter long and then retest again 
let's see if you've done it November the 15th, test again on January the 1st, and test again maybe February the 15th or 28th, and see if you can actually quantify a delta in your threshold or a, or a delta in your uh, ability to do repeat anaerobic efforts. It's amazing what you can do indoors, uh, again, in just 60 minutes, and I say that as a, you know, I give it a, a, a 15 minute to 30 minute window on either side, that's going to be consistent, effective, safe, and uh, uh, time efficient. So I hope that can help. Uh, the, the, the herb videos are the sweetest thing to use, and as a coach, the power that I get from that is I can actually create a, an interval session for my clients uh, from, from a separate website and then email them that workout. They then download that workout onto their computer, and, and the computer automatically syncs to the DVD. And let's say I don't want them to start at the beginning of Lake Placid. I want them to start 25 minutes into, into Lake Placid. They will literally, it will hit the button at 25 minutes, and all they have to do is click start. And they've already bypassed maybe one or two villages, and they're already going into um, some of the backcountry rolling hills and things like that. That, to me, is, is a very uh, uh, fun way to keep things fresh, to keep, to keep the people interested, and yet they still get workouts in a, a, a level of intensity that's going to keep them um, working, and not losing interest or losing concentration. And it's going to have, again, intervals built in um, either randomly or at, uh, at set times when they can turn things around and uh, 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 get, 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 uh, get, you know, get their one-minute intervals with two minutes of recovery or, or whatever they want to do. And, again, we're not trying to take them to failure on the intervals or on the, uh, or on the uh, duration. We're giving them just enough that they can sort of taste a little bit of the battery acid in their legs and then they can actually get an adequate recovery, and we don't do it every day of the week. We do it maybe two or three days a week. Yeah, and with these ERG videos, one of the great things is that you're battling exactly one of the biggest problems that people do have with indoor training, which is the B word, boredom. You get so right. bored training indoors, and so this, is, this sounds like a great way to try to battle that boredom that goes on. The other thing that you mentioned was um, the frequency. When, when it comes to indoor training, what sort of frequency are you are you recommending for people when you know they, they again off season, but they Absolutely. need to maintain their fitness? I believe that it's very, very possible to maintain your fitness two days a week and to get a slight improvement in your fitness if you go to three days a week. Wow, I if think you, that's going to blow people away. I know, and I again, you know, I'm 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 not coaching the three week uh, Tour de France champions. Okay, I'm coaching Joe Sixpack who wants to who wants to lose a little bit of weight and wants to regain a little bit of his lost youth and be competitive in a Cat 4 or a Cat 3 pack. Um, I, you know, if you are an elite athlete, then yes, you are probably going to ride five or six days a week, and you're going to be riding at least two hours at a time. We did have an individual on a copy trainer who took second in the race across America who had been blowing up fluid trainers uh, at the point of about one every six weeks, and once he got onto a copy trainer, he did, I would guess, eight or 900 hours before he ever even needed an overhaul, and this was still only because you know I think his, he had he had uh, basically worn out the bushings on it or some, the ball bearings on it. Um, it, it. It's one of those things where uh, uh, if you if you do a steady program and you combine it with some solid off season work on let's say a Swiss ball, a well inflated Swiss ball, 
um, will give you just about all the resistance training that you need. I call it the prisoner's workout. You've got push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, uh, you do some crunches, and you do some, uh, some back raises, and then some hamstring activities using some of the, the uh, I, give, I, I give out a PDF of uh, silhouettes of, of individuals using, using the balls in different ways. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit most of the systems that you need. It's not going to leave anything out. And it's going to give you a sense of confidence going into the preseason or the early season that you would not have had otherwise. If you sit there all winter long and ride at the same intensity uh, 90 minutes, at a, 90 minutes at, at, a, at a time watching reruns of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you are not going to get that much faster. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I mean, I, I, I can't say I can prove it other than to say that my own personal anecdote was that when I was a 25-year-old mountain biker, gypsy living in, in Bozeman, Montana, and trying to, trying to really become um, as, as good a cyclist as I could, I was, I, I literally spent one winter in this, uh, on rollers, on a pair of American classic rollers, uh, doing nothing but riding my mountain bike on slicks with rollers, and I got bored to tears. I then turned around the next winter, and I combined some CompuTrainer training, which was still pretty rudimentary. We were, we were, this is back in the Nintendo Entertainment System days, and they didn't really have any way to pre-program um, resistance uh, based on wattage. But we were using hills, and we were creating little things in a rather complicated way to, to, to program those cassettes. I combined that two days a week with two to three days of good, solid cross-country and backcountry skiing. And I came out, and again, I never won a race, but I was a very solid competitor uh, especially when it came to climbs. I was, I was kind of a Pontani-esque type character. My descending skills, I needed to go to a sports psychologist for that. But, um, you know, my climbing was really, was really spectacular, and I attribute that to a solid preseason of cross-training and interval training indoors because I knew that the races were going to be, I knew the races would be won in the climbs. I did not believe that the races were going to be won um, in the overall, uh, uh, you know, what you would say, uh, 80, what do you call it? 25 hours per week type thing. Right. So, and that so, was based on conversations with Ned Overend and Steve Tilford at the time. And they should certainly know. Um, so you've mentioned the ball, you've mentioned yes. cross country skiing and backcountry skiing. Uh, what about yes. for the individual who joins a gym and wants to go to the gym and, and get some sort of cycling benefit out of their visits to the gym? What do you recommend sure. for them? Well, there is no shame in getting onto a spin bike. Okay. Uh, all these people see them, and they're surrounded by by housewives and um, uh, you know friends. Sorry, I didn't want to uh, <laughs> steal your thunder there, David. But it's all right. uh, there's no shame in getting onto a spin bike. Okay. However, and again, this is my own experience. It is it has been my experience that that a lot of the people that 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 take spin classes become what I would call cardio fit. They don't necessarily have the leg strength to accompany that. Yeah, and that's always been my uh, question about spinning: is that is are you exactly. really getting cycling specific uh, right. muscle gain? You probably are not, mm -hmm. and and that is unfortunate, and that is why uh, some of these some of these indoor trainer companies like CompuTrainer and Tax and uh, Elite are uh, CompuTrainers leading the way with a multi rider system in which they've got eight CompuTrainers plugged in together, and 
they are based again on percentage of thresholds. So if I am riding next to Susie Sweetheart and then and then Johnny Longpockets, and then I've got another um, you know another rider on the right uh, um, to, to the right of Johnny, the four of us will be riding together. We'll be doing the exact same workout. But my threshold is 263, and, and her threshold is 172, and his threshold is 298, and, and, and the fourth rider's threshold is 202. We're all doing the same effort, and we're all pushing each other, but we're all, you know, we're all working at our own individual levels of intensity to a group setting. And, and I believe that, that an enterprising coach in the Salt Lake area or in uh, that we've got them, we've got two units, we've got two of them in, in, in Seattle. I actually run one in Dallas, believe it or not. And, and mine is very popular because we go through 12 week quarterly programs that, that set people up to peak uh, for certain events. Uh, and there's one in Philadelphia and there's one outside of uh, outside in the uh, in Western Massachusetts run by Jake Gump, who's another uh, coach that I know real well. And we, 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 you can run these multi-rider systems and get these workouts in and you feel like a million bucks after about two or three months of this stuff because you've gone through the dregs of winter and you've actually been working out and you've been working out with your teammates and your, and your buddies and you've got the pheromones flowing and you've got the, you know, the, the sweat is raging and everybody's screaming and the music is thumping and everything's just kind of doing things. And, and, you know, I, I, get, I frequently get, get, get phone calls or emails from these people and they say, you know, I didn't go to bed till 11 o'clock because I felt so good. I was on a, I was on a, I was on a good old fashioned cycling high. Now they can go out in 35 or 40 degree weather and cheat death on black ice and risk a hip injury and risk a collarbone injury or risk worse, which is what, which is what holiday traffic is all about. Um, and tr just to try to get a workout in, or they can get back indoors, redouble their efforts, you know, and you can do, you can do multi-rider systems in gyms uh, with, with two people. I mean, you don't have to have an eight rider system. You don't have to invest $15,000. In fact, you can go out and get, Copy trainers for on eBay for eight hundred dollars. I mean, they're they're not that expensive. But for the uh, you know back to your original question, for the for the person that gets into a gym, uh, the resistance training is 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 critical. It will not necessarily improve their performance, but it will do so many other good things for their body that you know it won't hurt. It, it just it, it's a good holistic approach. But the cardio is still the key. The cardio with the you know the, the cardio done on your own bike with progressive resistance is the magic bullet. And 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 I've been doing this indoors for a year and a half now. My athletes come out. Uh, here's a perfect example. I had an athlete that started off at uh, four 3.8 watts per kilogram over 20 minutes, and by the end of the um, by the end of May 2007, this person had gone through two. Uh, 12 week periods by the end of May that person was at 5.2 watts per kilo and was and, and made the upgrade from a three to a two wow and was and really was not feeling like they had really been challenged up to that point um, I use myself as an example I went from 4.5 to 5.3 I'm sorry I think no, no I said no heads that bad rich 3.8 to 4.5 <laughs> um, and I've got a young woman I'm very excited about this uh, Mars needs women so ladies Please give me a call. We'll try to get something going with a, a team, a team La Femme de Quita or some team Athena or something. Um, 
but but I've got this young woman, she's 25, and she's been doing it for about nine months. As a woman, she is sitting at about 4.4 watts per kilo over 20 minutes. And I, and, and I am just certain that uh, she will be a state champion of some sort, um, given, given her progress uh, over, the calendar, uh, over the calendar year and going into 2008. She it is just amazing to see the training effect from these people. And, and one of the side effects is this, and this is, just, this is just something to think about. Would you rather spend five hours outside, uh, you know, getting your bike dirty, cheating death, uh, 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 you know, maybe getting some fresh air, but also realizing that, you know, the, the, the weather may turn on a, on a moment's notice, or would you rather get a good 69-minute workout in and then go take a nap when you can recover from the, from the, 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 the strain that you've, that, you've, that you've caused your body come back and actually have a productive evening and maybe go out on a, on a, you know, go out to dinner or go out on a date or get some homework completed or, or go to work. Um, I, I think that, I think that there's something to be said about the shorter, more intense workout that leaves, uh, more, more time available for other activities like rest and recovery than to, you know, basically become a, uh, become a bike monk and go ride your bike five hours a day for 25 hours or 30 hours a week. Um, I think the I think the gains I think the gains I think the, the the gain curve becomes flat. I don't believe that you get that much of an improvement over that amount of time. So uh, um, amazing ideas and amazing results. Tell people where they can reach you to do the same thing for themselves. Okay, um, I am available at info at onlinebikecoach.com. Uh, I almost exclusively work with clients who either own uh, compu trainers or are considering purchasing them. I also work with pe- people who don't have them, but they usually end up buying them in the, just because they understand that, again, my, my buzzwords are consistency, effectiveness, and safety. Um, I'm available. I live in Dallas, Texas, and I am the technical consultant for wattage training for the iBike power meter. Um, I do answer their phones on a regular basis uh, to provide some tech support during the day, but when I am not on the, uh, um, on the computer providing programs for my clients or uh, tech support for the iBike, I'm out on my bike uh, testing software, testing firmware, uh, training, or I'm actually uh, preparing uh, interval workouts for multi-rider systems either at my own facility or at other facilities around the country and around the globe. Wow. Amazing. Rich, thank you once again for coming on the show and for providing everyone with your insight. And I think that you've probably given, well, you've certainly given me food for thought, but more than that, you know, it makes me want to get out of my trainer and have a, have a nice, short, but effective training session. Thanks, Rich. Good deal, David. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And if you're looking for any of the products or items that Rich mentioned, in the show, in the interview, I do have links to all of them in the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. If you're looking for the show notes, look up at the top of the page. You'll see a number of tabs, and one of them says, coincidentally, show notes. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. Just real quickly, how to contact me here at the show. Mention it at the top of the show. Wanted to repeat it. First of all, you can follow pretty much everything that I'm doing, whether it's show-related or not, on my Twitter feed, and that's at www.twitter.com. 
and you can just search for The Fredcast. Of course, you can send me email at any time. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can send audio comments in your email, again, thefredcast at gmail.com, or for your audio comments, use the Fredcast listener hotline. Again, it's a new number, 435-258-6FRED, or 435-258-6373. You can also use my Skype voicemail. My Skype name is The Fredcast, or Using your own computer and microphone, you can use one of three different voicemail services. You'll find these in the show notes as well as at thefredcast.com. There's TringMe, MyChingo, and Odeo. Give them a try. Anytime you can check out what's going on here on the show at www.thefredcast.com, and I really would appreciate it if you would spread the word, let your friends know about The Fredcast, write an iTunes review, or vote for The Fredcast at Podcast Alley. And as we do every week, we will end this week's show with some Podsafe cycling music. This one by a band that we've played before, and I got it directly from the band themselves. The band is The National Pool. They've got a new EP out. I've got links in the show notes to where you can find the EP and the song on iTunes, as well as where you can find them on the Podshow site at music.podshow.com. Once again, the band is The National Pool. The song is called Home. I hope you're all enjoying your home for the holidays and, of course, your home for all of your cycling news, reviews, information, and, of course, opinions. And that's the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Between this show and the next, I hope you enjoy the music. I hope you have a happy and healthy and prosperous new year. But most of all, enjoy the ride.
As many disbands and designs. 